God, we love you, and we just, uh, we give you thanks and we give you praise for all that you've done, God, for all that you've done and all that you are, and, and everything that you have meant to us and everything that you have blessed us with, God, we give thanks in this place. God, this morning we open up your word once again, and we look at another psalm, and God, as we close out this series, my prayer is that you would speak through me once again. That the words that are coming out of my mouth would be your words, and not just, not just my words, for your, but they would be your words for your people, God. We're here for you. We're here to hear from you. So God, would you just uh, open our hearts and minds to hear out of this psalm today, that we would hear your voice speaking to us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, uh, we are, we're closing out our summer in the Psalms today, uh, and that has more to do with the school year than it does to do with the weather. It's definitely still summer outside, uh, but uh, we are kind of closing out our summer series looking in the Psalms. And so far, we have, uh, we've looked at nine Psalms so far. This will be our tenth one today, and we have looked at kind of the whole spectrum of we've talked about God and God's faithfulness and some of the characteristics of God and God being all-knowing and what that means for us and, and who is this God that we serve. And, and even on Baptism Day, we looked at who is this God that, that these people give their lives to and that we give our lives to. We've looked at uh, what the Psalms say about God, but also what the Psalms say about you and me. We've talked about how we were made. Right? We talked about, <clears throat> about us and, and how we come to know God and how we depend on God and how God provides for us. We've talked about us, we've talked about God, and I thought it would be fitting this morning to just end the psalm talking about, end the series on the psalms, talking about the love between us and God. There's a psalm that we're going to go through this morning, Psalm 63, uh, and uh, this psalm is really written kind of as Dave, David's writing this psalm, he's writing this kind of as a love psalm to God. But there is a, there's a verse in here that kind of explains God's love to us as well. And so I want to I talk about both of those this morning. I want to talk about uh, our love to God, but the driving force behind that is God's love to us. And so uh, I want to talk about that this morning, but the question really I want to ask you this morning is, is your heart in love with God? Is your heart in love with God? Is there an affection there? Is there a longing there for the heart of God? And I think I'm, I'm concerned that there are, are a lot of professing Christians out there who, who, who words like longing and affection don't necessarily describe our, our relationship with God. Right, we, we have a, a knowledge-based a knowledge-based relationship with God, where we, where we know things and we believe things and we have faith in God, but, but if, we're, if we're honest, we're, we don't really have feelings for God. And in a relationship with God, we need, we need both sides of that. And so I, I, we believe in, in, in His love for us, but there's just a passion sometimes that is, is muffled. And so I want to talk about, about the passion that we have with God and about the passion that God has for us. And so Psalm 63, if you want to head there, uh, Psalm 63, I neglected to write down the page number. I'm sorry if you're using one of our pew Bibles. Uh, but Psalms typically, if you open your Bible just to the midway point and you just flop it open in the middle, there's a Psalm probably. And then 63, it's in numerical order, so you should be all right. So Psalm 63. You, God... Are my God. 
Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will rejoice in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is David, again. We've read some psalms by some different people. This is once again David writing, writing a psalm, writing a, kind of a love song, if you will, to God. Now David here, if you read before verse 1, it says that he is in the desert of Judah. Now we're, we're not exactly sure what part of David's life we're talking about here. But we, we kind of think that it's when, when he's fleeing from, from Absalom, his son, and the rebellion that's going on there. And so he's fleeing in the desert. He's in the wilderness. David is in the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness not just, not just physically. I mean, he's on the run. He's in the desert, right? He's in the wilderness. <clears throat> but he's in the wilderness spiritually as well. He's, he's away from Jerusalem. He's away from the temple. He's away from, from the place where the glory of God physically dwells with his people. So he's away. He's, he's in the wilderness both, both physically and spiritually. But he, he's expressing in this psalm his love for God. Now we talked a little bit about this in, in actually our first week, fittingly enough. Talk about this our, our first week as David is running from Saul. He's fearing for his life. And what happens? He, he says this prayer, When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, and God whose word I praise. David has this tendency when he is afraid or when he's kind of out on the run, he has this tendency to, to just put all of his trust in God. And in this instance, we see David. He's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. And he just is expressing his love and his praise for God. So my question this morning, where does that even come from? Where does, this, where does this come from? Where does this come from that David can, can, even in the midst of these trials, even in the midst of being in the wilderness, how can he sit here and write this love song to God? I praise you, God. God, you are my God. I will praise you. I think the, 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 really the catalyst is here in verse 3. Your love is better than life. Your love, God, you are my God. Your love is better than life. Your love is better than life. He realizes the greatness of God's love for him. He realizes all that God's love means to him and to means to his life. And, and when he realizes that, it drives his love and it drives his adoration for God. And I think that's the key this morning. When we, when we can realize the greatness of God's love for you and me, I think it does some things in our lives. And I think it drives us to the kind of love for God that can be described by the, by the affection and, and the things we were talking about earlier. It's more than just knowledge-based love. It's about, I, I, I love God. I, fe- I have feelings for God. I want an intimacy with God. It stems out of this realization that God's love is better than life. 
when we come to the realization and the greatness of God's love, when we do that, our passion returns and things start to happen. I want to talk about just a few of those things this morning. I think when, when we realize the greatness of God's love, our relationship with Him becomes more of a consuming addiction than it is just a convenient addition. I'll say that again. When we realize the, the greatness of God's love for us, our relationship with God becomes more of a consuming addiction than it does just a convenient addition. See, David, you read this psalm, and David, this is, this is the psalm of someone who, who just can't get enough of God. I mean, he's in the desert. He is, he is in the desert, and he says, I thirst for you. He's in the desert. He doesn't have any water. I, but I'm not thirsty for water, God. I'm thirsty for you. He's in the desert, but in verse, verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 5, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. I don't even need food. I just want you. Right? He, he's kinda, you can see like the writing here is, is, is someone who is so consumed by God, so consumed with, with God and his life. He wants more and more of God, and nothing else seems to matter outside of the love of God. This is where David is at. This is not just an addition to his life. God is not just a, kind of sprinkled on top of his life. God is his life. He is so consumed by God that he can't help but want more. He can't help but long for him and thirst for him and hunger for him and just want more and more and more of God. And he's not alone in Scripture, if you think about it. I mean, even Paul. Paul says this, in, he, Paul says this to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die is gain. What, what does Paul want? He just wants to be with God. If I have to be here, I will be here and I will live my best for Christ. But man, to die, that would be the gain. Right? You, you, you see, even Jesus in, in Luke, he calls us to this kind of, <clears throat> kind of lifestyle where we're just so consumed by God that nothing else really matters. I mean, even the things that you think would matter don't matter anymore, right? Even Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, hold on a second. Jesus has really a knack for like saying things that you're just like, hold on. Did he, did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Is, is Jesus really calling us to hate our wives and our husbands, to hate our children and our, and our families? And to hate? No. I don't, think you can, I don't think you can make that argument in all of Scripture. You can't use all of Scripture to say that, that God will want you to hate your family. Right? Even one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. You can't hate them while also honoring them. So what is Jesus saying here? I think Jesus is saying here, your relationship with me, your relationship with God should be so consuming that all of your other relationships, even the relationships with the people that you love the most, will look like hate in comparison. Be so consumed with me. Even Matthew chapter 10 is another, another Jesus says that whoever... <clears throat> Matthew 10, 37. I'm going to go there because I can't read my own writing. Man, I hate when that happens. 
Have you been there? Yeah? All right. Matthew 10, 37. Anyone, <coughs> anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Right? So Jesus, is, this, this, this take is not that Jesus is saying, hate your father and mother, hate your, hate your children. He's saying, whoever, whoever loves these things more than me, you should be so consumed in your love for me that all of these other relationships pale in comparison. Right? And when, we, when we realize the love of God that God has for us, this is... This is, this is what it is. It becomes more of a consuming thing than just like an addition that's sprinkled on top of everything else in our lives. Right? Our, our love for God drives everything. It's a relationship with God. Our faith is a relationship with God that is, that is so consuming. And I think and I, and I fear that there are many Christians today who, who think of it the opposite way. You talk about God as a consuming addiction and people... I mean, outside of that word addiction that scares some people, right? But even just the consuming part, God being an all-consuming piece of who I am. That's kind of a foreign, foreign thing to think about. Because what we've done is we've, made, we've kind of made God so we, we have all of these things that we feel love and affection for, and we just put, put God on top of that, and we just call it love for God as well. But it's different. Our love for God should be so, so consuming. We, we've created this picture of Christianity where we just add God to everything and say we're good, but it's not, it's not true. I mean, do we want God more than anything in the world? Do we want to, more time with God? This got me this morning. Would we want more time with God than maybe an extra hour of sleep? Do we want God's glory more than anything? Do we want God's love more than anything in our lives? And when, when any of these answers are no, then we've missed it. We've missed the greatness of God's love for us. This, this God, this God loves us. This God cares for us. This God meets with us even in this place as we sit right now. God is here in our midst. And, and, so, and when we realize that God's love, when we realize God's love for us, our lives become consumed by that. And we begin to begin to have this affection for God. Here's another thing: when we when we understand and we come to realize God's love for us, what happens is, is worship becomes more than just a duty. It becomes a just an opportunity for joy. We don't worship out of duty; we worship out of joy. I mean, David longs to worship, and you read this song, and he's again in the desert. He's away from, from what, what would be the presence of God in Jerusalem, the place where God dwells. He's away from God. He's in, he's in the wilderness, and he, he can't help but, but lift his hands up. He can't help but sing and worship, and it's not out of duty. Again, he's not in the temple. He's not worshiping because he thinks he has to worship. He's worshiping because he's so filled with joy because he knows that God loves him. He knows that God's love is greater than life, and it drives him to worship. And we should be excited for worship. God loves us, and God is in our midst. And, and if we know that, if we understand that, then our worship becomes more than just duty. We don't come just to. We don't come here out of duty. We come here out of joy. I think when we come here out of duty, we're not actually honoring God. 
And if we're honest about it, if we come here out of duty, it's not particularly satisfying for us either. But when we come and we worship out of a heart full of joy, and that is what honors God. And if we're honest, when we leave here after worshiping with a, with a heart full of joy, we leave satisfied. There, there's a difference between worshiping out of duty and worshiping out of joy. And God has designed worship that we can come and we can see his power and his, and his glory and his love. And we can know that God's love is better than life. And we can worship out of joy. When we realize God's greatness and we realize God's great love for us, we, it changes the way we worship. It, it makes us consumed with him. When we realize, here's another thing, when we realize just the power of God's love, you want God more than you want his greatest gifts. You want God more than you want his greatest gifts. Is it possible to love the gifts we receive more than the God who gives them? I would answer yes. And not only would I answer yes, I would say it's probably super easy to do. And I'm not even just talking about the material blessings that we get. I'm talking even just about forgiveness and, and just the, the promise of heaven. Right, sometimes we, we love those things more than we even love God who gives them. Right, we love the promise of forgiveness and we love the promise of, of heaven. And it's almost like a, I heard a story this week about a, a lifeboat captain. And, and there was a, a, a person who was, who was trapped out at sea and uh, they're just praying, praying that God would, would send someone to save them, send someone to, to send me a lifeboat, send someone to, to just come and to save me. And sure enough, out of the end of the distance, they begin to see this, this boat come, and this boat comes directly to them, and they toss us down the lifeboat. And <clears throat> I, I was listening to a sermon who was telling the story. He said, it's possible for that person who is saved in that lifeboat to love the lifeboat and to love the boat that the lifeboat came in, but to not love the captain who was driving that boat. It's possible to love the forgiveness that we receive, to love the promise of heaven in the future, and not love the God who promises them. Now, that was a convicting thought for me this week as I was preparing for this. Thinking about what, what is it that I love about God? Is it God himself, or is it all the things that I feel like I receive from God? See, when our hearts are, are for the gifts and not the giver, things are wrong. When our hearts are for the gifts and not the giver, I think we misunderstand the love of God, the love of God that is better than life. I mean, even, even in Psalm 63, this is not, he's not focused on the gifts of God at all. He's not even, he doesn't even mention any of the gifts of God. In Psalm 63, he, he is talking about, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I, I thirst, not for more gifts, but I thirst for you. My whole being, it doesn't long for more things. It doesn't long for more gifts. My whole being longs for you. 
in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Remember, he's in a desert, right? I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remembered you. This this whole psalm, I could go on and on, but this whole psalm is not about the things that David feels like he's getting from God. It's about God. He's expressing love for God because he knows that the love of God is greater than life. Right? This is what faith is supposed to be. This is, this, is, this is the way it's supposed to be when we praise God. We're, we're praising God. We're praising the giver, not just the gifts. We're, we're praising it. And, and, and I love this. It, your love is better than life. Think about what he's saying right here. The greatest gift that we have received from God the very breath in our lungs. He's saying, your love, I would trade everything for. Your love is better than life. I would give my life to be in your love. Now you can see for David how, how things wouldn't matter anymore. Material things don't matter anymore because... Even his life doesn't compare to the love of God. Your love is better than life. And I think the, the heart that realizes that, that this God loves us so unconditionally. I mean, we've talked about the love of God this whole time in the Psalms. We've talked about how God knows everything about you and still chooses to love you. How God is faithful even when we are not. This same God. When we realize the love of God, I think we would make that choice every single time as well. I would give my life for the love of God. It's better than my life. It's better. So when we realize that, that when we realize the greatness of the love of God, our, our, our lives become kind of a consuming addiction to him. Our worship becomes more out of joy than of duty. God is what we want more than our gifts. And here's the last thing. Our experiences in the wilderness will become experiences in worship. Our experiences in the wilderness, when we understand, when we, come to, to, when we come to know the love of God, our experiences in the wilderness will become experiences in worship. See, he, he is in the wilderness. David is in the wilderness as he's saying this. He's even saying, this, this is a dry and parched land. There is no water. But I thirst for you. Right, he, he's in a physical wilderness. He's in a spiritual wilderness, and he rejoices. How does he do that? I think every single one of us has been in a, in a wilderness experience. We've been in a dark time in our life. We've been kind of down, feel like no one gets it, feel like no one understands. Here's the thing. If, if our hope and our affection and our love are tied to the gifts of God, then every single time we go through a hard time, our life just goes straight down the drain internally. Because we feel like God has, has removed something from us. We feel like God must not love us anymore because he's taken away the gifts that he has given us. So if our hope and our affection and our love is tied up to the gifts 
then our life will mean nothing. But if our hope and our affection and our love is tied to the giver and not the gifts, then we can look up, even in times in the wilderness, even if we're going through the storms, all the metaphors for going through hard times in our life, we can look up and know that God is still there. And that this God, who is still there, loves us. And His love is better than life. And that knowledge right there drives us to worship. Even in the midst of the wilderness, even in the midst of the hard times, we look up and know that God is still there. Why is God's love better than life? Not only because it stretches higher and deeper than anything on this earth, but it also lasts longer than anything on this earth. We will never escape the love of God. Ever. There is nothing we can do. Neither angels, nor demons, neither height, nor debt, neither... neither. Paul tells us there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We will never be separated from the love of God. When we realize the greatness of God's love for us, it will drive us to worship. Even in the midst of hard times, even in the wilderness, we will worship. When we get to the end of the rope... The reality is that God is still there and that God still loves you. And even in the wilderness, we can be driven to worship. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So much good stuff in the Psalms. I hope that as we we close this series up in the Psalms today, I hope that you have sensed a change in your own life. I hope that, that you can look at the Psalms and, and not just see it as kind of like the, <clears throat> the, the one that I skip through, the one that I skim through. When I'm behind on my reading plan, I go to the Psalms because I can read a lot of them. I thought that was funny. No one else? Sorry. <laughs> Psalms is more than just a, a book of poems that we can skim through. There's so much depth and so much stuff in there. And I, I hope that as you, as you read the Psalms, as you continue in your own Bible reading, as you read the Psalms, that you would, you would begin to search deeper, to look deeper into what it is that these authors are right about, to look. It's part of Scripture for a reason. This book teaches us everything we need to know about God. Psalms is part of this book. There's so much to know out of the Psalms. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you dig more into the Psalms. But if you leave hearing nothing else today, God loves you. He cares for you. His love is better than life. And that should drive us to worship. Let's pray. God, we love you.
And God, we, we say that every week. We love you. But God, my prayer is that as, even as we say that, we would, we would understand that, that we love you because you first loved us. And God, will we come to a deeper understanding of your love for us? Would it not just be a, a knowledge-based thing or a cognitive thing that we know about? But God, will we begin to feel the effects of your love? Will we be able to, to sing like David and say, your love is better than life. There's nothing on this earth I desire more than your love, God. God, and would this love drive us to, to live a life that is totally for you and is all in for you, that we would make a difference for you, God, in our communities. God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? And just, uh, just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing. May the God of love, of a love that is better than life, may he go with you and ahead of you this week be in your homes, in your workplaces, in your conversations, in your cars, that his presence would be, would be known wherever you are and that you would make a difference in your community wherever you may find yourself. Go in the peace and love of God this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.